If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor, and it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection, and I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Behind the Mirror podcast. I am so excited that you have joined us on this episode. So much of what we talk about on this podcast is centered around a deconstructing journey, a journey where we are questioning things, we are rethinking things, we are looking at things from new angles and new perspectives. And for a lot of people, it's exciting, it's adventurous, it's new, and yet Equally, it can feel like a crisis of faith, and it's something I've personally been on myself, and it's a journey that I know a lot of you are on also. So I wanted to dedicate this episode to that. So I'm excited to dive into what I have learned to be the four phases of deconstruction, what they look like, and I cannot wait to dive into that with you. Before I do, again, I want to tell you all that I appreciate the community that you have built. I love every single one of you, and I think about you guys so many times during the week, I lose count. And our Facebook community is one that I have found such solace in and such comfort in, and I know it's been that for a lot of you as well. And I extend the invitation every week, and I will do it again this week. If you are not in the group, you are invited to be in the group. There's a seat at the table for you. You can opt in on my website, just a jesusfollower.com backslash podcast backslash podcast group. Also, if you're looking for an easy way to support this show, I so encourage you to go over to iTunes and leave us a review. It's just a way for people to find the show. And not only that, but it encourages me so much. I love those reviews so much. They encourage me every time I see a new one. And I just relish in how much you guys share when you post a review. So if you haven't left us a review, please go and do that. It means the world to me. With all of that being said, again, if you want to support this show, we have a Patreon page for that. You can find that on my website, just justajesusfollower.com and click on the button Patreon. And all of my patrons get an email every week with all of the nuts and bolts of the episode and kind of get to hear my thoughts and my brain behind the episode. So if you would like to be a part of that group, I encourage you to opt in at any time at any level. It's a great community, and I would love to have you in it. All of that being said, let's get into this topic. So here we go. (laughs) 
Hello there and welcome back to the podcast. Today we are talking all about deconstruction and this is a topic that is such a central theme to this podcast and to the point in my journey that I am on. And if you have followed this podcast from the beginning, you know that I have gone through so many rounds of questions and doubts and fears and scared moments and excited moments and aha moments and everything in between. And I think that that is the journey of faith. And so I want to start this episode with a quote that I truthfully don't remember who said it, but it is one that has stuck with me. And the quote said, faith is what's left when your beliefs are blown to bits. And I feel like that is so true. Faith truly is what's left when you have wrestled with all the questions, when you have gone round and round with, what do I believe and what do I not believe? And where do I fit now? And is it even okay for me to ask these questions? All of that isn't even possible without faith. So I want to talk a little bit about my own deconstruction and how mentally I have gone through it and psychologically the the impact it's had on me and those that I connect with and talk to and meet with because I think this is such an important part. And we truly haven't fully seen the psychological effects long-term of people who are pushing back the faith community that they come from or the mainstream wide beliefs that have been given to them their whole lives or most of their lives or what have you. We haven't really seen the long-term effects of people who choose to leave that psychologically what it does to them. Um, because at least not on this grand of a scale, because what we are seeing inside of American Christianity, from my viewpoint, what I see is a huge shift. I think it's a good one. I think it's a great one. And I'm not saying this is the only time in history this has ever happened because it's not true. But at least in my lifetime, it's the first time I've seen this happen. And to where you really do have so many divided groups inside the Christian faith and so much of the status quo is crumbling for so many people. So it's a big deal. And and I know a lot of people are like, oh, she's deconstructing. That's like just the trendy hipster thing to do. And truthfully, um, maybe that is true for some people. They just want to be, you know, a rebel of sorts. But for me, and I think for a lot of people, it isn't just this new fad that we're trying on for size to see how we like it. It it truly is something that starts way before we ever open our mouths and talk about it. It's something that that quakes and rumbles inside of you. And and it's it's a calling. And I without sounding too woo-woo and super spiritual, um, for me personally, it it was a calling I responded to inside of me, not a a fad or a trend or a voice on the outside of me. And a lot of people that I know who have ventured down this path, that has been true for them. It, it's been a a quaking and a trembling and a voice calling them from the inside of them to go down these paths. So. It's not a path for the faint of heart. And I think a lot of you listening would nod in agreement to that. 
anytime you stand on the outside, anytime you, you question a larger majority, anytime you choose to be different or stand with those who are seemingly different, it isn't always easy. Um, and so I wanted to dedicate this episode to that journey because what do you do when you find yourself in this process underwater, not really knowing how you got there or what life will look after here? I want to talk a little bit about that. So I'm, I broke this episode up into four stages, and these are the stages that I have seen inside of my pattern of deconstruction, and they may seem similar to you. I think I don't know. Bullet points tend to help me. I'm, I'm a list maker. Maybe that's why I get obsessed with bullet points. But but if I can see it in a list, in a format, it feels like a map. It feels like it's less crazy and chaotic and unknown, and it feels more manageable and controllable. Again, recovering self-control freak. Um, but this has helped me putting this into paper and and hopefully this will help you and comfort you too to know that you're not crazy and and kind of give you a roadmap for what is behind you and for what lies ahead of you. So for me and for what seems to be common for many people, the first stage of what we'll call deconstruction or a crisis of faith, if you will, is this scared, terrified place. And this is where you start having, like I said, for me, this internal pull, this internal call, this internal questioning, if you will. You have these moments of sheer panic at first of, oh my God, am I, am I allowed to think these thoughts? Is that even allowable? Am I going to go to hell for even entertaining this idea, and if I accept this idea, does that cement my eternal fate? These thoughts are real, and after you've moved past them, you kind of chuckle a little bit at them, but at the beginning, this is terrifying, and this is where I think a lot of people's initial response to someone's deconstructing journey is so violent at first. It's so angry and oppositional and militant at first because they're stepping into this. When a question is presented that goes against the norm, that goes against what has always been their group's stance, at least as far as their generation can think, that's a terrifying place to be. It, it causes fear. It causes panic. It causes anxiety because you are stepping into something that you don't know is possible. And anytime you entertain something that feels impossible or not allowable or like blinking danger, 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 red tape, don't cross that, right? We are trained and conditioned inside of, of a lot of mainstream Christianity to have red light, danger flashing moments go off in our mind if we entertain certain questions, if we even allow ourselves to consider the possibility of God being a certain way. And so when you start going down a path of questioning, thinking, considering, your initial response will be panic. Your initial response will be fear and terror. And I just want to tell you that's normal. People who leave cults go through this. And um, 
I've learned a lot about this lately and, and they call it, of course, in a cult-like scenario, it's brainwashing. You have to be deprogrammed, if you will, to, to think for yourself and not think as the group. Because a lot of cults, the people inside the cults learn over time to train themselves to empty their own mind and let their mind be filled with the thoughts of their leader or the thoughts of what their, their cult group is doing. And so they think not for themselves, but they think on behalf of what the leader has told them to think. And it takes time and training and a lot of very skilled um, psychological workers to to join with people who come out of cult groups and help them deprogram because it's a mind game. And so I liken that to this process, not because you were in a cult or I was in a cult, but because some of the processes look the same. The idea of letting go of someone else's thoughts and allowing yourself permission to have your own is very common for someone who starts the deconstructing process. Because a lot of the warning and, and alarm bells that are going off in your mind aren't because your mind thought them up. It's because your mind was trained and conditioned to think them. And so this part is terrifying. And this is exactly why so many people cannot handle conversations with someone on the outside or someone who has deconstructed or someone who is questioning because it's a scary place for a lot of people, including myself in the beginning and probably including a lot of you. It's very scary at first. That fear, once you move past, uh, maybe thoughts of God hating you for thinking those things, or am I going to go to hell for thinking these things? Am I allowed to think these things? When you move past that, Usually the next thing is, oh my gosh, what are people going to think of me for thinking this way or considering these possibilities for opening up the door for more conversation? What would people think of me? This is legit. I would put this right up there. Actually, no, I would put this above my fear of what God would think of me. And I am deeply bothered by that statement, but I'm being very transparent with you in that God has never really been afraid. God has never really been a, a subject that scares me. Like God's opinion of me has not been something that keeps me up at night. I know for a lot of people, the fear of making God angry is a big deal for them. For me, God has been my safe place. God was the one who liked me when other people didn't. And so for me, I'm like, you know what? God and I are good. Whatever hell I climb myself into, he will climb in with me and we'll be okay. That has been my experience. That comes from a personal experience with the divine and me. However, people, on the other hand, are not as forgiving as God, at least in my experience. People are not as grace-filled as the divine. People are not as trustworthy and steady and rock solid. And I've always a hundred percent got your back. Like my connection with God has been. So for me, my fear of what people would think of me was way louder than my fear of God, which should tell you something, by the way. Um, the people who, who's, who claim to represent God if you are more afraid of them than you actually are God, they're probably not representing the God that you know. 
not the God that you've connected with and that you love and feel safe with. That's a whole nother topic, a whole nother podcast. But my fear rested in what will people think of me? And letting go of that has been a day-by-day journey. And I will not tell you I'm 100% over it or through it. I am living it. Every time I go to post a podcast, I have a wave of panic. Every time I publish a blog, I have a huge wave of anxiety. Every time I even post a blurb or a blip on Instagram or Facebook, I am rehearsing in my mind what certain people are going to think or say or believe about me. And that is, it's an ugly, ugly cycle to be in. And it's one that I hope one day I will master. But for now, All I know how to do is to just do it scared. (laughs) And so that is what I do. I choose to do it anyway, even though I'm afraid. And for me, that's in the hopes of somehow getting over the fear. And some days I'm better at it than others. But all I know to do to overcome fear is to face the fear over and over and over again and remind myself of my value and my worth that has nothing to do with public opinion of me. That's a journey. That's a journey, one that I am still on. Okay, moving on to the second phase. Now, after you have kind of navigated yourself through this fear and terror and you start settling on some things, like settling on the idea that God's not going to be mad at you or hate you or damn you to hell for questioning, God is actually a God who enjoys questions and who enjoys journeys outside the box. When you start settling in that place, the next thing you start to feel is excitement. Because when you just imagine it like this, like, you know, everybody has that phrase like, oh, you know, you just, you're thinking outside the box and you don't want to leave you know, you don't want to leave the box. There's this whole box terminology that we use around religion or around organized faith groups. Okay. Think about it like this. Like, it's true. Whatever camp you were in before you started to deconstruct, it included some sort of a box. It included some sort of a limit to what God could or couldn't be or what God could or couldn't do. It included a limit to what you could or couldn't be and what you could or couldn't do. There were ceilings on this box. So when you move past the idea of ceilings and all of a sudden the space is wide open and vast and endless, it's exciting. It's like an adventure. It's literally like you're finding new discoveries every day. And I think that's why I fell so in love with um, Pete Enns and his work, the Bible for Normal People podcast. And I had him on last season. It, It was just like every time I listened to that podcast, it was a new discovery for me. It was a new idea. It was a new way of thinking. It was a new perspective. It was shifting things I'd always known and looking at them in an entirely different light. That is exhilarating. It's exciting and it's fun. And it feels like you are just seeing the world in a different light for the very first time. So this is the fun part of deconstruction. This is where it gets exciting. And all of a sudden, at least for me, God became so much bigger. 
um, BT Harmon, he was on last week. And when I asked him that last question, I asked him, what has God been to you? And that was his answer. He's like, God has been bigger. And that you just, you could summarize my whole deconstruction journey on that word bigger. God was big to me before, but became so much bigger once I dove into this journey that I'm still on. And and my hope is that it continues to feel that way. It continues to to feel exciting and it continues to feel like, oh my gosh, just when I thought it couldn't get any better, God just got so much better, like so much bigger. Excitement is probably the best part of this journey. After you move through that, and I think you continue to circle through all of these back and forth, but moving past excitement and new discoveries and that adventure piece comes this wave of confusion and this wave of loneliness. And I would say this has been the most difficult part for me because I I can face fears. And I love adventure and I love excitement, especially when it comes to things of, of a spiritual nature. But when I feel confused, when I feel chaos, when I feel like my feet aren't underneath me anymore, that's really hard for me. I, I've loved the new discoveries. I've loved how much my view of God has shifted, how much my heart has grown, how much my faith has been stretched. I've loved it. But there have been moments when I have gone, oh my gosh, what else am I wrong about? What else have I believed wrong? What else have I gotten screwy along the way? And what what do I really believe? That for me was hard because the box, if you will, that I came from meant I had the answer for everything. Everything was scripted. I could tell you who was going to hell. I could tell you who was going to heaven. I could tell you what pissed God off, what made God happy. I could tell you one plus one will always equal two. If you do this, if you stand on this prayer, if you stand on this promise of God, you are guaranteed to get this result. I got to be honest. It's great having absolutes. It's fantastic because it takes the guessing out of it. But as you encounter life, right? Like you encounter life with real people and you start to become a real person and you start to become authentic and you start to actually crack open your soul and unzip it and start looking at what's hidden inside of it. It's not absolute. It just isn't. And it's more gray than it is black and white all the time. And that for me felt confusing because all of a sudden I felt like I went from having all of the answers to having zero answers. And that was really confusing for me because I've rehearsed these answers since I was four. I knew the insides and outs of my quote unquote faith from the time I could speak. I was brought up that way. So when those start falling off of you and you're left with a whole lot of what ifs and a whole lot of I don't knows, 
it's really confusing and foggy and and that can bring fear that can feel scary too and so that for me has been the hardest the hardest part of admitting how much i don't know being uneasy about how much i still might have wrong um and just not being completely certain of so much I used to be certain of. And in that space, it can feel really lonely because when you've been surrounded by a community or a group or a family that has all the answers and all of a sudden you're realizing how many of the answers are still left with a big old question mark, um, it can feel very isolating. I remember when I was going through this, that I had this moment of feeling completely alone. And and I was sitting in my shower. This is something I do all the time. I sit in my shower and this is where God and I just like hammer out the hard stuff. And I was I was feeling depressed. I was feeling so alone, so confused and foggy. And like, how the hell did I land here? Because once you see, you can't unsee, right? Like once you start seeing all of the things that don't add up, you can't undo that. It's like it's like the curtain's been pulled back and I and I see. And now I can't make that go away. And so I was I was in the in this moment of just feeling so alone. And um and the picture I got, I'll share with you because it, it helped me. And the picture that came to my mind was like a whole bunch of people, myself included, like sifting through the dirt and and they're pulling up numbers, right? And they're saying one plus one and they were making twos, right? They, they were not finding twos in the dirt. They were pulling up one, pulling up a plus sign, pulling up a one, but then the two wasn't coming. So they were making twos out of sticks and making twos out of rocks and making, drawing the number two with their finger in the sand. I pulled up my one, pulled up my plus, pulled up my one, and pulled up a zero. And I'm looking at the zero, and I'm looking at everybody else forcing the answer to. And I'm like, wait a second, guys. Like, one plus one doesn't equal two. It's actually, it's equaling zero for me. In my life, one plus one did not equal two. It's, look, look, guys, I'm holding up a zero. I can put my hand through it. There's nothing there. It's empty. One plus one did not equal two. And and in my mind, it's like I could see this all playing out where everyone was so determined that one plus one equaled two that they were going to do everything they could to create two. And the fact that I was actually being honest about pulling up a zero made me the odd guy. And after I saw that picture, I realized like, This is what the deconstructing journey feels like. You've been told one plus one equals two. You've been told if you stand on this promise, if you say this prayer, if you memorize this, if you believe this statement of faith, blah, 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 you are guaranteed this outcome. You are guaranteed by the word of God, you're guaranteed this will happen. We create whole denominations on this. We create movements on this. We create prayer groups on this. We create sermons on this. I did all of that. But the problem is, is that I didn't get the outcome. 
I didn't get one plus one equals two. Real life taught me that one plus one for me would equal a zero a lot of the time. Every now and then I got a two. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to ignore that. But most of the time I was pulling up zeros over and over and over and over again. And at some point, I had to be honest about that. And I think for a lot of people, so much of their stress and anxiety inside of their faith is when they pull up a zero because it doesn't compute. And so they stress out trying to make a two where there isn't a two. They're going to make that outcome be the right outcome, even though that outcome is not what's happening. People live in loads of denial because of this. Because if they throw out that what they believed is not going to give them the outcome that they were promised, well, that throws the whole thing out of whack. That that throws them into panic and fear and all the way back up to step one, being scared and terrified, right? Like they can't go there. So people will stress themselves out till the day they die trying to create twos lost in these equations that are never going to add up the way they're taught they will add up. And so for me, it felt really isolating when I stood up and waved my zero around thinking that everybody else would start waving zeros, but they didn't. They panicked and they went into hyper mode of making twos. And a lot of people tried to force twos onto me, force outcomes onto my circumstances that were not fitting the equation. And so that's a lonely place to be, and, that, and that's the best way I know how to describe what this part of deconstructing has looked like for me. I, I believe vulnerability and authenticity is the most precious thing that we have, and sometimes in life, you have to make sacrifices for that authentic peace. And that leads me to, to this fourth step, which is sacrifice. On the altar of the truth of your life, whatever that is, if you are pulling up a zero when you're supposed to have a two because your quote-unquote faith or your doctrine or your theology or your friends or your family told you it had to be a two if you did one plus one. To be authentic and own your own outcome to own that zero, to own your truth and your reality and the real thing that you're dealing with, the realness of your circumstance, the realness of your heart, the realness of your life, the realness of your relationships, the realness of your faith or lack thereof, there's there's going to be a cost. There's going to be a sacrifice involved. And, and I think this is the part that no one really warns you about <laughs> when you are in the excitement phase and you're in the discovery phase is that there is a cost that comes with it. And that cost can come in the form of relationships. It can cost you relationships. It can cost you friendships. It can cost you a marriage. It can cost you your community. There, there will be a cost involved with anything authentic, whether it's a deconstruction of your faith or something else. Anytime you step into real, authentic truth in your life, there will be a sacrifice involved. And there isn't any more of a relevant picture than that of Jesus. 
Jesus lived so authentically and Jesus spoke his truth at a high cost. His sacrifice was one of an an authentic, true life. His sacrifice came at a heavy, heavy cost. But he didn't bow to fear. He didn't bow to people's opinions of him. He didn't bow to loneliness or confusion. And you see all of that in the life and journey of Jesus. And at the very end came the ultimate sacrifice. And and I think any sacrifice when it involves authenticity is always worth it. Always. Because sacrifice shows you had skin in the game. Sacrifice shows that that this meant so much to you that you were willing to give something for it. You were willing to lay something down on an altar and let it be burned up to bits in front of you for it. Sacrifice is beautiful. And in many ways, I think it's a it's an offering of, of sorts. It's an um a beautiful, broken, fragrant offering every single time. So I don't want this last step to scare you because I think if we are going to model ourselves after a life of Jesus, we have to be willing to sacrifice on the altar of truth, our own truth, and and sacrifice on the altar of authenticity because that was his life. And it was beautifully, beautifully done, but it was also one that included, I'm sure, fear, abandonment, excitement, adventure, new discoveries, confusion, isolation. But in the end, it was so poetically, beautifully done. And in the end, it's a story that no matter what your faith background and no matter what you personally believe about the life of Jesus, it's a story that will move and impact, empower, and shake a room over and over again. The story in the life of Jesus is one that continues to change people. No matter what side of the coin you fall on, it changes you. It does something to you. And why is that? Why is this a story that universally affects everyone who hears it? He was authentic and there was no denying that. And his sacrifice was profoundly powerful. So on your deconstruction journey, I want to encourage you. I want to empower you. I want to be a voice that champions you, that it's worth it every single time. It's worth it. And no matter where you are on this journey, keep going, keep going. And when you have those moments of excitement and new discovery and adventure, relish in them because that's the journey. That's the journey of faith. Faith is what's left when your beliefs are blown to bits. Faith is what's left. You are on a journey of faith. No matter what anybody else says, I'm going to tell you, you are on a journey of faith and it's beautiful. And this is what faith looks like. This is what faith feels like. This is what faith 
really looks like played out. I love you guys. Thank you again for jumping on this journey of crazy faith with me. I love you all and I will see you next week. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.